This is In the Locker Room with Wolf and Starks, presented by your neighborhood Ford store on ESPN Pittsburgh and Steelers Nation Radio. Welcome, everybody, in the locker room with the Maximin, the Maximilian one. I always get that a little mixed up because my son is Maximus. You are Maximilian. You maybe what? Would you be like Max Two Million huh? instead of just Max a million? Yeah, but a Max you know, Two Million. Yeah, Ma- Max not quite a billion. You know, whatever. <laughs> oh, oh, that's even better. Max not yeah. quite a billion. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. That's good. How are you, my friend? It's good you to know, see you. I'm mean, good to see you as well. Uh, you know, I mean, th- this is, you know, it's Friday. I mean, who who doesn't love Friday? Friday? Th- th- this I is the weekend it. precursor, you know? Oh, man, you're not kidding, brother, because you know coming up is the Denverites, and they're flying in. They're coming east from the west, right? So you're, like, thinking to yourself, yeah. I used to love – Fridays were so cool because Friday just started to snap you into that game mode. You know, that's where your attention is now, where you, you've been going through, you know, Tuesday and all the film that Wednesday, Thursday is looking forward and everything. But Friday starts to snap you into that zone where you just walk that zone right up to kickoff and you get all your irrational thoughts and, and you know, you get your aggressions kind of building and all that kind of stuff comes together. It's the start of that long tunnel up to kickoff. What say you, my friend? Well, I mean, it, you know, it's it's it, it's a weekend. It, it, it's it's. <laughs> Don't give me go... that. Well, give no, no, me your no, player I mean, mind. No, 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 no. <laughs> me, yeah, that's what I'm saying. I mean, it's a weekend because okay. I mean, for me, it's an early day Friday, right? You know, I'm coming in. It's yes. walk through Friday, fast Friday, however you want to call it, and then at that point, I'm going and getting my hair cut. So you know, because I'm like, hey, I want to make sure I wait, wait a minute. Sure haircut under Friday. The helmet. Oh yeah, haircut well, Friday after practice. Yeah. Well, it's it's to be. You want to be aer- aerodynamically sound. That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, early in my career, not so much because that's when I had all the hair. But, uh, but you know, <laughs> once I once I matured, you know, my wife accepted <laughs> me for me. Um, you know, I went to a more cleaner <laughs> hairstyle. Um, but I mean, I, I think the biggest thing is you come in. And you're like, dude, th- this is the last. This is the last practice before before it's go time, before the board meeting, so to speak. You know, and right? It's like, right. Okay, okay. So let let me walk through. Let me mentally make sure that I'm IDing as soon as I get out of the out of the huddle. Boom, boom, boom. Me and my guard are communicating. We're running through it. Boom, boom, boom. Noon. I'm done. At that point, I've studied so much film from Monday night to that Friday yep. morning. I don't want to think about physical football plays until Saturday evening in meetings. Like that's my little <clears throat> window of break because I know that I have crammed everything into the into the Max Mind sandwich between Monday night right. and Friday morning. So it's like I don't want there's nothing else to see at this point, you know? So how big, <laughs> so I think that's hmm? Yeah, uh, go ahead. Here here's let me ask you this because Mental gymnastics. Now, that is the art of putting yourself in the theater of your mind. That's really where you go into and you're kind of like, all right, I'm, I'm digging it. I'm, I got it. Relax. And I, I used to do this every night, but I would take my playbook and I would sit there and I'd go through the plays mentally visualizing myself on each and every play. And I would then break it down as we got to Thursday when I had a good idea. Of, like, for instance, if I was playing Randy White from Dallas, okay, 
you know, I would have a good visualization when the flex defense, when he's up close, what he's going to do, when he's back off in that stunted defense that they had, whether it was the bow or not, you know, then his pass rush, his run defense was different. So I would go through all those things and mentally visualize myself about it. Now, did you do stuff like that? Yeah, I, I, I did. I did it uh, similarly, a little bit different where I knew who my guys were. So Monday night is is player recognition night. That's what I always called it, where I go through okay. and all of the potential guys that I could face and I would watch them individually in the game film. And then that then that night and Tuesday morning, I would write all of their pass rush moves. So I knew what their okay. pass rush moves were. Then right. on then on Tuesday it was I'm looking for the 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 other interior guy that I could face on possible twists and stunts. Go through write his moves. Got it. And then I would study their twist front recognition. What do they do out of each of these fronts and what's their tendencies? Now I break that down. Now that's a third category for me. Then after that, then I watch everything they could possibly do, all of their first and ten film um, as a team for the season. Then I watch all of their second and medium film and what they do in run situations, what they do in pass situations. And then I break it down to third downs. And then from there, then as I sleep and, and I'm going to sleep at night, I'm visualizing how I'm going to attack each of those pass rush moves and each of those twist fronts. So, right. so very similar, and then you break it down, and then we get into game situations and practice. I'm telling our look team guy, hey, this is what I need because this, this is, is what his tendency is. I need you to line up like this. Put your, put, put your inside foot back because he doesn't do outside foot out unless he's going to move two men removed. But if you're this tight, this is how you should line up. And I'm getting now the physical reps because I've already put it in my brain mentally. That's excellent, and that's a great breakdown of it. The one part you're lacking, my friend, is that yeah. when you go to the theater of your mind, you know, the thing about it is when you specify that time, you can get yourself a bucket of popcorn. See, that's yeah. the beauty of it. <laughs> popcorn. That's what I like about what? it. Popcorn, peanut M&Ms, my friend. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. Oh, yeah. Well, that and the Kit Kat bar was also one of my favorites at the, when okay. you go to see a okay. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. It's always a good the, one. <laughs> the beautiful thing about it is you just represented what a ball player goes through from Monday night through Friday and that the window of preparation that that uh, you know that you that you go through is extensive and yet at the same time there's that little window that you got to have of just chilling for a little while like Saturday mornings. You know we used to practice yeah. see Friday Friday was our our last padded practice of the day. We went Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday in pads. And Friday, I'll never forget this. One time, and I, I, I forget who we were playing against, but on Friday, we ran toss 28 hook, all right, where Tunch pulled from the right tackle and would lead on the, on the corner. We ran that 16 or 17 times in a row because Tom Moore was not satisfied with what we were doing. <laughs> you hear him go, run it again. So <laughs> about five, six years ago, I saw Tom Moore at practice up in St. St. Vincent College, maybe six or seven now. But anyhow, I asked Tom, I go, do you remember that time? It's re and he, he told me not only how many times we ran it, but the date too. And I was like, oh, you got to be kidding me. How do you have recall like that for a guy who is, yeah. well, essentially he is the quarterback whisperer of the NFL? Oh, I mean, yeah, because I mean, Coach Moore was out here in Arizona for a while with B.A. 
So, you know, seeing Coach Moore and now what he's doing, you know, still as a consultant for the Bucks. Oh, um, yeah. He's he I mean, his mind is one of the sharpest things. I mean, it, it, it him and meeting like Monty Kiffin. I had a chance to meet Monty. Oh, Kiffin yes. As well. Those two guys. I mean, I put them head to I, I couldn't imagine that they're in a room playing like chess together. Oh, yeah. What that would be like, because these dudes essentially played chess as offensive and defense <laughs> coordinators. <right? laughs> they played exactly. They, they, play, they played football chess and, and they still play it. Um, to a degree, so no, I, I think I think that that's kind of one of the other things. And then the other thing I forgot: Thursday night, that film session, that's with the entire offensive line. We oh actually really? Used to now, have see, Thursday night we didn't do that, that much. As a group. Yeah, that's why All Mac right, so where used, did to, you meet? used to get upset with me. Uh, Mac would get upset because uh, I would rent a projector and a computer. This is pre-tablet, all that kind of stuff. So we, I'd have to check out for Mac in the video office an actual pull-up projector. And then a computer. Um, and so we would go. we pick a different teammate's house. For a long time, Chris Kimoyatu ha- had the most space. So we would do it at okay. his house. And, and, and it would be – originally it was just the offensive line. We did it at Justin Hartwig's house before. Like we were trying to rotate guys' houses on Thursdays, depending on obviously what guys had. But we would do that. And then we invited the running backs. Running backs would come a couple times um, to watch it with us. But it was mainly the offensive line night where we watch film, go through all of our recognitions. As soon as the play comes up, boom. Center makes the mic ID. Everybody goes to their calls. Boom, next play. Boom, next play. And we do that for like an hour straight. Um, and so that was another thing that I really look forward to. And, you know, because it was like Thursday nights, man. We do, hey, film, film night. We're, we're doing Thursday night right. film night. And, you know, we bring food. Or, and then later on, we started using the exactly. fine money that, that we find guys in the room. Oh, yes. That, right. So the rookies didn't have to pay for it. It was like it would offset, <laughs> but usually most of those fines came from the rookies. Um, but, you know, occasionally there was a vet in there, so we would use that money to then pay for the food every week for the guys. So, I mean, we it was, it was one of those – it's just such a bonding and a special experience, like not only for your mental, but for the unit as an offensive line because then we're right. quizzing each other and making sure that we're holding each other accountable – when it comes game day. See, that's so very important. And one of the unifying aspects of offensive line play is the interdependence of me on you, you on me, and across the board. Because if all five guys aren't tight, it's uh, it's a it's a screw-up waiting to happen. It's going to be a, a three-car pileup at the Fort Pitt Tunnel, so to speak. Nobody's getting through. And so to be able to do that, your Thursday nights were our Friday after practice. Because what we would do is just what you said. We'd come in after practice on Friday. We'd watch the practice film, and then we'd watch some game film. We ordered out food, which got to be such a big sort of smorgasbord. Like defensive backs, coaches are trying to come in and hit off our food supply, so we had to have some battles there to <laughs> set the. We had to, you know, set the the, the rules yeah, the as it were. The yeah, Red Rover, I mean, you know, Red Rover, link hands. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> you ain't getting no pizza. You're not getting any peppies. You know, you're whatever the food was, was, was going on at that time. That's the thing about it, though. Here, and here's what I loved about it. There was such a unifying bond that was created out of that. Because as you toil about it, and you know, the, you know what it's like. When your only recognition that you get, unfortunately, is like uh, holding – number fill in the blank, you know, over the, 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 the PA address system at Three Rivers or Heinz Field, wherever you happen to be playing in that generational time. You know, that's that stinks. 
You know what I mean? That's about it. You know what I mean? But that's the truth of the matter. And that's where, you know, being together as a, as a group is so emotionally, physically, mentally satisfying because you do this all together. Yeah. And, and here's the funny thing. The only time you get glory as an offensive lineman is when you come on the field and you do this. Oh. And they announce your number is eligible. <laughs> where you yeah, put your hands say- in front of- yeah, Remember, you do the up and down. We're not yeah. on TV. We're not, sure. Yeah, your hand. yeah, but I, I did that emphasis for you. But, yeah, the only time you get glory is when they call you as an eligible receiver, which they know you're not getting the ball. But that that's about as good as it gets as an offensive lineman. Other than that, it's you're relying upon hearing your teammate call for a touchdown and seeing the referee put both hands up in the air when you cross the end zone. That's your glory, right? It's that shared benefit of doing it right because everything else – geared towards an offensive line, it's going to be a negative <laughs> if your na- if your well, number's called. <laughs> the funny part was, towards the end of my career, I also played some goal line tight end, you know. Uh, oh, yeah. And, and so I would I played an H-back tight end, I mean, where I was – and they'd, I'd wham guys, right? So I would go in motion. I'd wait for the quarterback to give me the nod or the heel, right? I would turn and go in motion, right? And as we go in motion, then he'd snap the ball, and I'd go up and lead on – but it was so funny because one time we're in the we're watching film and Tunch goes, "Look at you! You're prancing like my little pony. You're sashaying." <laughs> I oh said, "No, I'm God. in motion. I'm in motion." And he accused me of sashaying. I did exactly. not sashay. I tell you, my friend, it it is not a sashay. It is is it is called a stalk. <laughs> That's what you should have told him. I'm That's stalking. Right. I'm stalking. I'm <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, we're going to stalk some more. We're going to break right now. It's Wolf Starks and the Ninjas, and we're going to have Bruce Gradkowski up next in the house right here on ESPN 970 and Steelers Nation Radio. Starks, presented by your neighborhood Ford store on ESPN Pittsburgh and Steelers Nation Radio. Oh, this is always one of my favorite times, one of the favorite times of my week when we have the great Bruce Gradkowski join us because he's a Pittsburgh guy. He's a former Steelers quarterback. He's a guy that now he's a media mogul, former restaurateur, or still a restaurateur. But I do know this, he's a great friend of the show and a great brother, so please Bruce, how are you, my friend? What's up, my man? I'm doing great. You know, it always fires me up hearing a little Bruce Springsteen on a good Friday morning. Uh, you know, I'm fired up, though, for the weekend. Big high school game tonight. Wolfie, I'm already on Ooh. the hot seat here in Toledo, Ohio. My uh, my co-host, Bruce Murray on NFL Radio, put me on the hot seat. He said, I was up 28-14 to 14 in the fourth quarter last week against a good football team. And we couldn't pull it out. So I got a big rivalry game tonight Ooh. against St. John's. I need this one, Wolf. I need it. 
Oh my, you gotta have it. You know, when you gotta have it, you gotta go to my, who's your go-to now? What's going to be your go-to for that? So, so we, we, we have a receiver, we have a QB and receiver seniors, uh, very young in their football careers though. They're doing a phenomenal job this year, but our receiver, he's got 70 catches over a thousand yards and eight in seven games already this year. He had one. You gotta be kidding me. He he had one game with 16 catches, 300 yards. My quarterback threw for 435 yards that game. So I like to throw the ball around, but it seems to be a wet and dreary day here in Toledo, Ohio. So I might have to hand it off a few times. Okay, now let me ask you. This isn't like a Seinfeld episode where Kramer was like (laughs) when he was taking karate and he was fighting sixth grade kids. You know, and he was talking about what a great black belt he was because he could beat up the fifth and sixth graders. You're not playing quarterback, are you? I mean, it's not you throwing that 435 yards uh, total yards, is it? You know, I, I wish, Wolfie, I wish, but I, I have to live vicariously. <laughs> I have to live vicariously through them now, so that's why I'm trying to get them all the yards. Exactly. Oh so, well, gosh. you know, Max but, and I are sitting. First of all, let me, Max. You know, one of the first things that I wanted to ask Bruce before we got going was, you know, you have glory days. Bruce, what was your yeah. glory day memory from your high school? Max, chime in. You got to give me your glory day memory from high school. Okay. Well, it's, it's good, to, good to be with you, Max, you know. Uh, good to be with you job, too, brother. BG. <laughs> yeah, man. You know, it's, it's been a long time since I've seen job. you, bud. <laughs> I know. It just, it just goes too fast. Well, if I have to say, you know, my glory days, you know, at Seton LaSalle High School, we had some good ones. I remember throwing for over 400 yards. I think it was against Burgettstown. I uh, had a good game. Uh, you know, a memory that sticks in my head, it was a loss, though. We played North Catholic in the playoffs. We were down by seven um, with, you know, under a minute left, and, and we, we drove down the score. It was kind of a miraculous kind of play. And, uh and now I remember my coach at the time asking me, you know, because you know how sometimes you have soccer guys that are your kickers, and you know we got we got hammered on, you know, one a few years ago against Alaquipa, our kicker missed the kick to push us to the second round of the playoffs. So, uh, you know, he asked me, he goes, after we score, you know, we're down down by one, not a lot of time left in the game. He goes, you want to go for one or two? I was like, yeah, go for one, home home make it. And I'm like, man, I should, why would I all go for one? I should have went for two at that time and won the game. So. <laughs> exactly. Little keeper. Bruce, that's back when it was still on the two-yard line. You had wheels. <laughs> I know. I know. Nah. BG's hand. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Trust BG. Uh, be great. You know, BG, be great. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> All right. For me, Wolf, I think, I think the biggest, so I had two, cause I played at two high schools in, in my time, uh, in high school. You're that uh, big, my, huh? Two high yeah, schools. Yeah, I'm, I'm that big. Yeah. <laughs> so freshman, sophomore year, I played at, uh, at Jones, at Jones high school in Orlando. And my, my big moment was funny because it was my sophomore year. And at the beginning of that year, I got suspended for half the season mm. because my mom was mad at the high school. She felt like I wasn't getting the right amount of, of educational enhancement. 
she's like, she's like, you need to go to, you need to go somewhere that challenges you. So she, my mom tried to put me in a school called Central Florida Christian Academy, CFCA. And I go to, I go to school. I'm unhappy because I get to school and I'm like, hey, where's the football coach? They're like, uh, we don't have football. We only have basketball. Oh, wow. and I'm like, oh, um. I wanted to play football and basketball. Well, we, we don't have a football team. It was a small <laughs> school. So, I, you know, I'm going to school. I mean, everybody's like, oh, man, you're going to play basketball for us? Because they were like semifinalists um, a year ago. So I, I'm, I'm sitting there, and I'm like, Mom, I don't want to go to this school because they don't have football. And so my mom's like, okay. So she pulls me out of school on like a Thursday. And – and then I go, and then I go back and re-enroll in Jones on Friday. First day of practice was Thursday for football, so <laughs> I get out there. I'm practicing. I'm going through everything, and then I get a letter from uh, the Florida High School um, Athletic Association saying you are an ineligible to play until you have a hearing in October. Oh, I was like, wow. what? So That's the nice. athletic director from the other school sent the letter that I had enrolled and, and, and pulled out after the first day of football practice. So he got me suspended for the first five games of the season. So I'm pissed. Oh, man. Mad. So I get in the sixth game of the year. And this time, this is before my offensive line prowess days. I'm, 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 I'm <laughs> a defensive lineman at this point. But I get in the game. I have two blocked field goals and three sacks in my first game back. <laughs> <laughs> And so in a half season, oh. I got all state honors because I was I was running rough shot. I was like, I only have five games. I might as well just go all out. And I went all out at the defensive, oh, tackle, defensive end position. And then I switched schools. And then my senior year, the highlight was my we ran we ran the wing T triple option at my high school. So we oh, didn't no. have Bruce Gradkowski at quarterback. So oh, we, had, wow. we had nothing but run, we had nothing but running backs. So our starting tailback had 250 yards rushing, and our backup uh, wingback had 150 yards rushing. We put 400 yards on the ground that day. Oh, my goodness. That's <laughs> yeah, the way to yeah. chew up and shorten a game right and, there. And I was a guard, and I pulled every play. <laughs> oh, my goodness. You must have been skinnier back then, right? A little no, lighter I was three, on your 320, feet. 320. Oh, my 320 goodness. 320 as a, as, a, a as, as, a, as, a, as a junior going into my senior season, yeah. In the Florida heat, doing it all. Way to go, Max. Me, guys, I was just an untalented fat guy. (laughs) So don't worry about it. Hey, Bruce, tell me about what – let me ask you this, because all around Pittsburgh, people are really worried about Ben. Can Ben right the ship? Can Ben create uh, the offense that's been lacking and and necessary for the first month here? Uh, Can he do that, my friend? Well, here's the frustrating thing. I mean, when when you're not winning football games, everything's under a microscope, and and we know we all have played played the game and we follow it closely. That who gets more credit than they deserve, quarterback? Who gets more blame than they deserve, quarterback? You know, so at this point, when your offense isn't rolling, you know, the the, the, the microscope's going on the QB, and at this point. I mean, it's Ben because he is the franchise guy. He is a future Hall of Famer. So the, the expectations of his play, it's just through the roof because we've seen how many uh, unbelievable games, comebacks, years from him that you just expect that. Now, where he's at in his career, he can still get it done. I personally think he still looks fine. His arm's there. I think he moves fine as well. 
It's just when things are off, when your timing and rhythm are off, whether maybe the receiver's routes are too deep or too short, maybe they're not getting separation, maybe the line at times isn't holding up their block, it makes you jittery in the pocket. It makes your rhythm and timing off, and then you miss throws. It's inaccurate. It just looks sloppy. So, for me, when I see this offense, I think a lot's going on that, you know, it, it just comes down to a few plays here or there. I mean, there's a few plays that whether the receiver he inside releases on a go route, if if he doesn't stack that, that DB and it's a missed throw, if they hit that, we're not talking about that, this. Juju down the team last week. He gets a little tugged by the DB, DB kind of throws him off a little bit, just a missed throw. You know, so so they're they're close in a sense, but when you're not able to win the game, then this is under a microscope. And especially being the Pittsburgh Steelers and having Big Ben and having this team and Mike Tomlin like that that is such a good coach, the expectations are high. I do think they could get it going. I mean. Just like anything, and, and you guys know that, you know, it's communication. It's, hey, what do we need to do? What can we hang our hat on? What are we comfortable with? I mean, look how Tom Brady started last year with the Bucks in the new offense. It's not easy. I don't care how long you've played, and I'm not quite sure how much the terminology in Pittsburgh has, has changed, but Matt Canada does different things. You know, coaches have different philosophies and ways to do things. So I think the communication has to be, what can we hang our hat on? What are we good at? What are we comfortable running? And let's get into a rhythm of some sense. And I think you'll see this offense take it back up. All right, Bruce. And on that on that note, I'm, I'm glad you brought up communication. Um, <clears throat> how big a deal do you think it is having Matt Canada in the booth and not on the sidelines for Ben to talk to um, during timeouts yeah. and in quick situations? Because, I mean, he had that for 17 years, and now Matt Canada – is a booth guy. I mean, talk about that from a quarterback's perspective, having that OC there to where it's not playing a game of telephone um, when you're talking yeah. to him, but you get to talk to him in person on the sidelines during those 30-second timeouts versus talking to somebody else that's relaying and playing telephone to you. Yeah, you know, it's tough because I see it both ways. You know, and now that I'm a you know a big-time head coach play caller here in high school. There it is, um, yeah. You know, <laughs> I'll tell you what, sometimes I'm like, man, I wish I was in the box because you can see it so much clearer and easier um, and adjust during a game. But, you know, I think it's the communicate. You have to have, you know, for so many years, even when I was there, you know, there are certain guys. And look at Charlie Bass and Byron Leftwich and the relationship Ben had with those guys for so long. You have to have someone on the sideline that you can com- communicate through, whether it's a, communi- whether it's a quarterback coach whether it's another assistant, whether it's a backup quarterback, someone that, you know, Ben has the right relationship to or the starter does, that the communication can be fine that way. Um, because it is hard. I mean, Todd Haley was on the sideline, Randy, um, you know, because but every coach has their preference, you know, because Matt Canada, mm-hmm. he has to do the best job he can, right? And how is he able to do his best job? Is it him in the box? You know, if that if that's the case, then he has to be there. Now they have to figure out the other line of communication, how it makes sense to communicate with Ben, that Ben's getting what he needs to feel prepared, you know, going into a series, going into a situation, and things of that sort. So it's tough because I see it both ways. And honestly, some coaches prefer different ways. Like some coaches 
want to be on the sideline, want to be next to their guys so they can feel the pulse of the game. And that's kind of what I like. You want to feel how the guys are, where the energy is, and things of that sort. So it's just a, it's a really tough thing to try to navigate. You know, Bruce, I think you're right with the testosterone and all the juice on the sidelines. I, I don't know how you sit in the glass booth, but, you know, to each their own. That's their experience. That's how they operate right. best. Well, one of the things I wanted to ask you about, too, was how much is on the quarterback to find a receiver that has crossed the sticks on a fourth down versus one that's short of the sticks on a fourth down? Can you even tell by depth perception as a man's running a drag route across the front uh, in front of you, if he's across the sticks, if it's he's at three yards and the sticks are at four or five yards, I mean, is it, isn't it a little more on the receiver to make sure he's at the first down marker uh, as he's running across? Yeah. Well, you know, and, that, and that's a good question because I was sitting on this week a little bit, and you know, even when I'm coaching my guys, like I don't want our routes to change because of down and distance. It's my job as a play caller to call the appropriate play. You know, if it's if it's third down and 12 and I call a stop route that's 10 yards, I don't want my receiver to go 12 yards because now that throws off the timing and rhythm from the quarterback and receiver that we've worked all week. And I'm just trusting, though, too, that you could catch it and get two yards, whether you fall forward, whether you have to break a tackle, whatever the case may be. And sometimes, too, like, and I've always been a big believer in this, you don't have to call plays past the sticks or at the sticks just to get the first down. A lot of times, you know, it, 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 it's, it's how the play's set up, who you're attacking, and getting that throw into the open zone, reverse man-to-man, that rough kind of route. Um, so, you know, so to me, it just, it just all depends. Like, so, like, I saw what Ben saw in that one where he hit the flat. It looks initially like, man, the flat's there. All of a sudden he hits it while the defense does a great job rallying and they tackle before the sticks. Of course, afterwards, you're like, ah, oh, man, you know, I didn't realize that. But at the time when you're reacting, you're going through your reads, that's the throw to make. So sometimes, you know, it's, it's on the play caller making sure you call the appropriate play to get you the first down, you know, and then, then it's going through your reads, making the play. So I don't always believe you have to call play at or beyond the sticks. The same way, too, when it's third down and two, you don't have to call a flat route. You could throw a go or a fade or a post because defenses are expecting the short throw. So I think you do have to mix it up in that sense. So many times around the league, I watch the Colts, the Rams, the Niners, third down and 10, what do they do? Boop, a little slip screen to the receiver. They get a few blocks. Boom, they get a first down. So you see it all, all the time around the league. It's just unfortunate when you're not winning or you don't convert. Now, you know, the magnifying glass is really on everything. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, because if it works, we're not having this conversation. But the fact that it's <laughs> not working right now, right, right. you know, always always brings in, you know, the, the extra eyes, right? You said the extra microscope on it because you're like, where is it going to click or where is it going to kick into our favor when it hasn't kicked into our favor um, you know, lo- looking at, you know, let's just take last week and then put it up to this week. You're looking at what the Broncos are doing, right? They have the inverse record. They're three and one. Um, and they, and they've had those things go in their favor. Teddy Bridgewater gets concussed. I mean, you know, knowing that he got concussed in the game on Sunday and knowing that you have to fly cross country and play, I mean, 
I get this is a shell game right now, right? You know, it's hide the peanut who's going to be the starting quarterback. But, I mean, it's pretty safe to say that I, I don't believe Teddy's going to be the starting QB. Um, but for Drew Locke, what do you see in Drew Locke, and what advantage does does that give the Broncos or disadvantage coming into Heinz Field against yeah. the Steelers' D? Yeah, I, I mean, I think anytime you come to Heinz Field, it, it's a tough place to play, especially with the Steelers' defense and how they can play. Um, and especially where the Steelers are as, as a team right now. You need a win, you know, and you're going to get the Steelers' best effort. I mean, all of Coach Tomlin's teams have always been a team that have fought. Never seen the lay down. They keep playing till the end. And um, that's what I've always appreciated about the Steelers in the Steelers' way is the standard is the standard. And they're going to play. It doesn't matter your record or where you're at in the season. And I think for Drew Locke, I mean, that's a quarterback I want to see if I'm on the Steelers' defense right now. You know, I want to see Drew Locke, a young, a young quarterback that will force a few throws that we could get after in, after in the pocket, that could maybe fumble a few in the pocket. That's who I want to see. Teddy Bridgewater, you know, he's that savvy vet, makes good decisions, going to protect the football, not going to be very, you know, dangerous, you know, trying to force things, and he's just going to play the game the right way. So I think if, it, if anything, you'd love to see Drew Locke come into town and, and hopefully you could get after him a little bit. Look, the Broncos have a good defense. They're stingy, you know, giving up the run. So, you know, the, the Steelers' offense also has to come with their A game. But I think it, at the end of the day, if, they, if they're if they able to see Drew Locke, I think that benefits uh, the Steelers this week. Well, I want to thank you so much, Bruce, for checking in the locker room, my friend. Great having you. And we'll see you in a couple of weeks. And, hey, let's go Steelers, right? Hey, that's yes, it, man. Let's get one this weekend. And I appreciate you guys having me on. Thanks, Thank Bruce. you, brother. That's Bruce Gradkowski, and uh, it's Wolf Starks and the Ninjas in the locker room, ESPN Pittsburgh, and Steelers Nation Radio. In the Locker Room with Wolf and Starks, presented by your neighborhood Ford store on ESPN Pittsburgh and Steelers Nation Radio. Welcome back, everybody. It's Wolf, Starks, and the Ninjas in the Locker Room. All right, Max, one of the things you got to look at is this Rocky Mountain High defense because this defense is playing well, as Bruce Gradkowski was talking about. This is the defense that's stingy on the run. They're active. They tackle well. They get off blocks. They'll two-gap. They'll angle, do all sorts of things. Um, this is a defense that's it's not going to be a walk in the park for the Steelers this Sunday. No, th- th- this is one where you look at it, um, what the Broncos do. They apply pressure, and they're stingy on the run. They're a reason why you're looking at the number two defense in the league. And even against playing, you know, some of the opponents that they've played, right, you know, the Jacksonvilles of the world, the Jets, and, and, and the like, but you've also played the Baltimore Ravens. And to have kind of the play that they have in there and to really, I mean, they technically self-inflicted themselves, um, you know, which caused the score to look a lot different than, than, uh, than what we'd expect from them. Teddy Bridgewater gets knocked out early in this game after the second sack. Oway put two straight sacks on him, and then he oh, was gone. Man. And then Drew Locke comes in. But, you know, special teams, you know, they had a short punt in that, in that second quarter, I believe, and, 
And, you know, they had a great return, so they get the ball inside the 20. But that defense held them to three. So the offense did nothing in essentially the high red zone with the ball to start, and they come away with a Justin Tucker field goal. So this defense is very stingy. It's very stout. And to hit, you know, Lamar Jackson three times, who's a very mobile, very active guy, that says a lot about what they can do as a front. So if I'm the Steelers, I've got to be on my P's and Q's. I've got to have the right chips. My offensive line has to stick to these guys like glue. They got to put the old school stick them on their hands when they make jersey contact. I'm all for it as long as you don't get caught, <laughs> right? But you have to stick to these guys because they will apply pressure and they will get in Ben's lane. And they have a good secondary, right? Pat Sertan is second. We heard, we heard Tom Bradley talk about it yesterday. And, you know, he's one of the highest grade. He's a reason why people were, were salivating over getting these corners in the top ten picks because they knew that they could be difference makers, and he has been that. Um, you know, Cal Fuller also being the other corner. Very savvy veteran. So you have those guys, plus Kareem Jackson, Justin Simmons over there in the safety positions. Uh, they have a very well-rounded defense. You could see where their resources went, right? They put a lot of time and effort into this defense to mature it to this point. And then – you know, offensively, they kind of went complimentary. But the, the the real bell cow of this team is that defense, and there's a reason why they're ranked so high. You know, the guys that really interest me, and I know interest you, as we always talk about, are the guys up front. Because you have to know that as we, as ex-offensive linemen, you love that trench warfare. You love the close-quarter combatives. And one of the guys that stands out right away to me is Shelby Harris, a defensive lineman that, you know, though he's not that big, he's 6'2", 290, as you said, now what was your quote? He's got a lot of what in his seat? Oh, got let, he got a little extra seat in his pants. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, and it's people are like, back what, in my what day, does that mean? Yeah, yeah, that, that's the wagon. Well, in my <laughs> day, in my day, Max, we used to say he's two axe handles across the backside. You know, that's how they yeah. measured some of the, yeah. the keisters on some of his guys. Shelby Harris is one of those guys who's got a couple of axe handles across the backside because that's your power pack. That's your oomph. That's what gets you uh, able to take on the, at the point of attack. That's what gives you that ability to bull rush. So you take a look at a guy like Shelby Harris. Not only is he strong, but he's very quick, too. Yeah, I mean, he's a guy that when you're thinking about how am I going to combat them, I've got to sit down. So we talked about last week, there's a couple of times where it seemed like the offensive line kind of predetermine what they thought the defender was going to do and got got blown straight back into the quarterback. You should know that the only move that Shelby Harris has is a bull rush. So you should have to sit on it every time. He's not trying he's not trying to give you some type of razzle dazzle arm over move. I mean, unless it's a predetermined slant, but for the most part, right. he's going through you, not around you. Uh, he's a true 3-4 DN that plays kind of more of the three technique, which is over the guard and the B-gap. And every once in a while, he'll come over to the center. He'll slant into the center, but he's going through. He's not trying to avoid contact. He's trying to absorb it and then put it all back in your lap and sit you on the ground crisscross applesauce. You know, when I look at him and he gets that lockout, that extension, it's not like he's not overly long arms, but he's powerfully built, and it's like – Anything where you're trying to take him off the ball, it's like you're going right through his arms, through his hips, through his feet, into the ground. It's like you're pushing against the ground because he maintains good form. He has that good lean and that lockout. 
Well, and, and that's where double teams become key, right, in your gap game. You've got to have the guy because if he's going to sit down on your guard like that, guess what that leaves open? Oh, it's ribs all day like a barbecue. Mm-hmm. You, you marinate got, you've, got to, you, you've got to marinate and tenderize the rib area of him because that rib cage is exposed. When you get in that position where you get stout arm extension, that leaves all of that open uh, for, for, for you to pick and choose which rib you want to attack um, on that. Is it, is, it the, is it the third rib? Is it all the way down to the seventh rib? Whatever you need, an elbow, forearm, shoulder should be going in there on a double team. You should be able to knock him to where the guard can control and cover him so that you can allow the tackle to move up to the second level. Those are some of the small keys that when I'm looking at it, I'm like, gap scheme is important here, especially when he moves down to the three technique because you get guard tackle movement um, at, the, at the point of attack if you're doing anything to that side. So I think you have to look at that when you're doing your critical s- study of the team. Like we talked about in the opening segment, right? How do I evaluate? Well, that's what I'm looking at. <laughs> I'm saying that, boy, Coach, when you call counter here, I have got an opportunity to wale the dude. You know, that's what, that's what, <coughs> that's what we used to call it. When you come over, get a little, get a little, little shuffle, shuffle, hop, mm-hmm. and boom, battering ram to the ribs and work up to that backer. Because that's the other thing. You have fast flow backers in the middle. Um, yeah. When you're looking at Alexander Johnson, Justin Sternod, like those are guys that they want to flow over the top because they know that, they're, that their D-line is funneling to them. This is a th- basic 3-4 concept. They're going to funnel things. The down linemen don't want to make the plays uh, in the run game. They're funneling it for those linebackers. So if the backers want to make sure they're getting one gap over and they're open in the hole so that they can hit Najee square um, because they don't have to worry about offensive linemen because the D-line's holding them up. So you have to be good right. as, the, as that guy coming over on the double team to make sure that you knock those hips over and those ribs over to where they're square up either on the guard or center. And if you're the tackle or the guard, you must climb because the guy's going to show himself immediately. And if you can get there and cover a body, Najee can wiggle his way through. And you saw some of the big plays that Baltimore was able to garner at times was because they got a body on a body. But when you don't, when you spend time on that first level messing with Shelby Harris because you missed your angle or you got your head across the backside instead of the front side of, of his numbers, that's going to be a problem. And that's what they want because then the backers make all the plays. Well, the whole thing is if you can take Shelby Harris and move him enough to be able to throw him in the lap of the second level guys, all right, whether it's Stranod or, or Johnson, uh, that that's the es- very essence of what you want to do when you have your double teams. Now it's not going to be easy. Shelby Harris is nobody's uh, he's he's nobody's pigeon, shall we say? It's not like you're going to pick on him and and identify him uh, much as Mike Purcell. Think about Purcell. Purcell is he's like he buries in there like a tick on a hound. You know, I mean, you see him get yeah. low and play when he takes on the double team. I mean, he's not afraid to put his grill in your grill. He's not afraid to put that big old hip with that whatever you call it, the stuff in between or behind him, <laughs> yeah. he's going to he's gonna drop anchor and use that to anchor at the point. And this is one of the essences that's going to be tested this week is for the Steelers' offensive linemen. It's not just about putting your head in front. It's not the technical thing. It's about staying engaged on your feet and being able to continuously keep your feet moving as, as much as possible because these guys, they, they do a good job of locking out and maintaining their gaps. Yeah, they they do a great job. They're truly playing the base three four. So 
if you've watched the Steelers, the Dick LeBeau, the early Keith Butler stuff, like this is what they did, right? You funnel as a as a down lineman to everybody else. This is what made Aaron Smith so good mm. back in back back in my day, right? Aaron Smith yes. <coughs> wasn't going to make a lot of stats. <coughs> Sorry, wasn't going to make a lot of stats, but at the same time, he was a guy that was going to funnel everything to James and Foot. So. You had you had to be on your P's and Q's, and he wasn't going to allow you. He knew how to throw that hip into the gap and and pit you as a tackle, so that so that Foot and and Potsy could make it through and make the play. That's what they do. They're, they're, those down linemen aren't concerned with tackles. Like none of them are in the top five in tackles or top ten on the mm-hmm. tackles because right. they want to get it to Stranad. They want to get it to their safeties. They want to get it to their second and third level defenders because they're going to absorb those guys and those guys can free roam. They can play downhill because they're they're tying up two for one. I love it. All right, we're going to go to break. That's a wrap on the first hour of In the Locker Room. We'll be back with more. We're going to come back. We're going to get on it with more defense, more offense, and head on into the second hour. All right, we'll be back after this. In the Locker Room, ESPN Pittsburgh and Steelers Nation Radio. <laughs> 